I think most people in our church know that Faith and I have been blessed with four uh, amazing, wonderful, and wild boys in our house. And uh, having four boys is a recipe for for all sorts of things in life. It's a recipe for fun. Uh, We have so much fun together. We really do. It's a recipe for imagination. You know, when I'm at home, I get to be a kid again sometimes. And I get to pretend and, and, and wrestle and play with swords and all sorts of stuff. We get to, you know, have imagination. And But it's also a recipe for disaster at times. And a pretty common definition that, that we hear, and I think you'll, you'll relate to this if you've raised boys, that a definition that we hear, what it's like to raise boys, is that it's like having a lot of noise with dirt on it, All right? And that about sums it up. I don't think I could add anything else to that. It's like, it's like having a bunch of noise with dirt on it. Well, this week I was reminded about a small disaster that happened around the dinner table uh, this time last year. So... We have four boys. Um, Elliot is our youngest. He'll be two in March, April. We have one in March, so we have March, April, May, June, July, July, and then November. We have five months coming up of nothing but birthdays, so April. And uh, Elliot was around nine months old at this time, this time last year. So when Elliot was around nine months old, my five-year-old, Weston, who sits right up here by mom and dad, we were all sitting around the table. He, Weston decided that it was time to introduce Elliot to some new foods without mom and dad's approval. All right, so we're sitting around the dinner table, and up until this point, Elliot was basically living off of mom's milk and some uh, squishy or soft fruits and vegetables. That was basically his diet. And on this particular day, uh, Weston decided that Elliot was ready, again, without mom and dad's consent, but that he was ready for some solid food. All right, he took it upon himself, he decided he was ready. Specifically, what was on the menu that night was lasagna with pepperoni and ground beef in it. So I've got a photo up here for you. We, uh, if you get squeamish over half-eaten food, I apologize. <laughs> but This is Elliot when he's nine months old. Now, we'll keep the picture up there just for a second. When something like this happens... All right. There's usually a variety of different responses around the dinner table. For example, for Elliot, as you can see, this was absolutely the happiest day in his nine months of existence. All right. This is a new experience. He is he is just uh, grinning from ear to ear. Now, the other the other boys, you can't see them in the photo, but they're laughing so hard that they're falling out of their seats. All right. Faith had enough time to grab the camera, but she's worried to death. Uh, because she's afraid Elliot might choke on something. Again, he hasn't had food like this before. And then I'm, I'm furious, all right? I'm angry. I'm, I'm pretty upset because there's a, a mess that's inevitably going to have to be cleaned off of the table, the, the walls, the floor, and off of Elliot. I don't remember the exact conversation that took place after this, but, but I imagine that there was a mixture of emotions Uh, some positive, some negative. There was some laughter. There was some anger. There was probably some discipline. But today I want to talk about something that I believe is so important. I believe the Bible addresses um, directly to individuals and families. And and today we're going to talk about healthy family communication, all right? Healthy family communication. So I started with a personal family story that happened around the dinner table. Because that's where a lot of our our family conversations happen, right? That's where a lot of our family conversations take place. Uh, But the principles, and I want you to hear this, the principles that we're going to talk about today um, don't have to be applied around the dinner table. Um, They can be um, with with any situation, 
uh, in, with any relationship that we have with any person and in any type of conversation. Uh, you can be a newlywed. You can have been married for years and be an empty nester. Uh, you can be single. You can be a kid. The things that we're going to talk about today really do apply in all areas of life. So the main text that we're going to look at today is found in James chapter 1, uh, verses 19 through 21. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Um, we're not going to go there just, just quite yet, because what I want to do before we look at this scripture today is I'd like to give you a little bit of background and some context surrounding these verses and specifically the book of James. So as you're turning there, I'll give you just a little bit of background. So most scholars believe that the person who identifies himself as James, uh, who is also the author of this letter, is in fact James, the brother of Jesus. And I would hold that belief as well. Now, the book of James was written to first century Jewish Christians, and these first century Jewish Christians had been scattered from Jerusalem because of their faith, because of physical persecution. That's what they were dealing with in their lives. Now, when these early Jewish Christians were scattered uh, to live in these new areas, they were tempted to let these new cultures influence their faith in Christ. So, for example, there were false religions everywhere around them. There were false practices and false doctrine, and these things were being infused into the teachings of the church. So as James writes to these early Jewish Christians, um, he's genuinely concerned for them. He's concerned because they had faced physical persecution. They, it, it, they were facing physical persecution at that time. But he was also concerned about their spiritual growth, their spiritual well-being, because uh, he wanted to make sure they had the right doctrine and that they, just, they weren't just hearing those things, but they were living them out. That they weren't just hearers of the word, but they were doers of the word. Well, there are four to five smaller themes that are seen throughout the book of James, but the overarching theme, kind of the main theme or the blueprint for this letter is all about being genuine as followers of Jesus, being genuine in our faith. James urges these early Christians to be genuine in their relationship with Jesus, to be genuine in their faith. And in doing so, he gives them some great advice on what right Christian living is supposed to look like. Now, one of the more well-known passages that we uh, have heard from the book of James is found in James chapter 2. And I think this really sums up this idea of being genuine in our faith. These verses, they really address the point that James was making uh, to these early Jewish Christians, and I would say to the church today, as God has preserved his word throughout the ages, throughout the generations. This is for you and I today. So James chapter 2, verses 17 and 18 says, So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Now, he's not talking about salvation here, and you'll see what I mean by that. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now, someone may argue that some people have faith and others have good deeds, but I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. So James is teaching that faith without works is dead. As followers of Jesus, we have a responsibility in Christ to practice what we preach. We have a responsibility to be obedient to the word of God. Having faith in action is, believe it or not, a requirement for believers. You see, Scripture is consistent in teaching that uh, you and I, we're not saved uh, by, by works. 
You and I are saved by God's grace uh, through a personal faith in Jesus. But I would say this this morning, that genuine faith will show itself through works. You could also say it this way, that good works are a result of a growing faith in Jesus. And this really brings us to our text today. So we have that context and that idea of what James is, is talking about, who he's writing to. And then we get to James chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. Just a small section of scripture today. He says these words, Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, that you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word of God that has been planted on your hearts for it has the power to save your souls. So a good question this morning could be what do these verses have to do with family? What do these verses have to do with healthy family communication? That would be a good question. Well, James is urging us to humbly accept God's word in our lives so that the word would be lived out in every aspect of our lives. That we, again, wouldn't just be hearers of the word. We wouldn't just be people of faith, but we'd be people of faith who put that faith into action. We'd be genuine in our faith. You know, no two families are the same. And, and I, I believe James understands this. And he's saying that we should live out our faith in every part of our lives, even in our families. You know, God's word, it provides us with direction and solutions that can encourage and equip the family. Not, not to just be a home full of Christians, but to be a Christian home. A home that loves Jesus together. A home that serves Jesus together. You know, as, as I grow in my faith, um, my prayer is that my wife would also grow alongside me. That my kids would grow alongside me. That we would grow together, that we would serve Together, when we were sitting here this morning, um, every single week, this is amazing, Weston, my five-year-old, he looks over and he says, why do you take that stuff? Or what's that stuff for? He's talking about communion. And every week we get to talk about it. And this morning, he looked over and he said, I, I think this is the, the right words he said, he said, I, I think I want to be baptized. You know, and he's sitting here talking about these things. It's like, well, let's, let's go have that conversation. Let's talk about what God's word says and let's learn that together. And, you know, my prayer is that we would grow as a family that God would work in our lives and through our lives to serve him. It's all about a genuine faith. Romans chapter 12, verse 18 says uh, these words, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. You know, friends, we all have difficult people in our lives. People that are just hard to be around, hard to talk to. And I would venture to say that many of us have difficult people that we live with right now. Don't look at the person next to you who came to church with you this morning, all right? That's not what I'm trying to get at today. <laughs> but fostering healthy family communication, I want to say this, it starts with you. Regardless of the difficult people that you live with, regardless of the difficult people that are in your life, fostering healthy family communication, it starts with you. And the principles that we're going to talk about today, they're meant for all of us individually. It's easy to point out somebody else's faults, but James is talking to you individually today. These are things that we should apply to our lives. You know, we, we can't control how others talk. We can't control how others behave, but we can control how we respond. That's something we teach our kids as they get older. And we can be intentional 
about guiding healthy communication in our homes, in our places of work, in our friendships, the list goes on. So the first point that we're going to talk about today, if you're taking notes, is this. Uh, James says, be quick to listen. I haven't changed the wording up or added a, a twist on it. This is, this is what he's saying. Be quick to listen. Uh, James chapter 1, verse 19, it says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen. So without a doubt, there's no question to this. Uh, the best listener in our house is my wife, all right? It's faith. Uh, and this might have something to do with us raising four boys. We have a two-year-old dog who's also uh, a male, and we have myself. So really, she's raising six kids, and she is, without a doubt, the best listener. And I think, you know, lis- listening well, being quick to listen, it just comes more naturally for her. I, I, on the other hand, I'm not a great listener. In fact, I can usually only do one thing at a time, and sometimes I can't do that well, all right? Uh, the word multitasking is not even in my vocabulary. Listening to another person talk, even if it's my wife, uh, while I'm doing chores, while I'm playing with the boys, while I'm watching a movie, this is really difficult for me. And, I, and I'll tell you this this morning, it frustrates my wife to no end. And I know some of you are in the same boat. In fact, I would ask the men this question this morning, but I don't think I'd get a straight answer. So I'm going to ask the the wives this morning or the women in the church if you have men in your lives that are like this. All right, so just just raise your hand if this this applies to you. How many of your husbands or or men in your life can relate to this, that listening well and being a, a good multitasker is just not in their vocabulary? All right, don't be afraid. Women, let's get them high. Raise them high. All right, husbands, now you know the truth. (laughs) Well, I've got a quick video this morning. It's just a video illustration that I want to show you that I think really drives this point home. And then we'll we'll continue with, with this part of the message. Let's watch this together. I've been married for 19 years now. Isn't that awesome? Oh, oh, I got the better end of that deal right there. Seriously, she doesn't need me at all. She ever leaves me, I'm going with her pretty much. You husbands know what I'm talking about. We just walk around the house. Why are we here? I feel like a catcher in T-ball walking around the house. I just can't keep up with her mentally. She's so much smarter than I am. It's not fair, ladies. God has given you brains. You do like eight or nine things at once. You multitask. And men, we just can't keep up. Men are like, honey, can you watch the kids for an hour? I'm trying to make toast. They can't figure it out. Just a lot going on right now, please. I don't know which number I want. Something's going to be popping up. I need to focus here. <laughs> just take them somewhere. I need some me time right now. <laughs> get my yoga pants. Just get my yoga pants. <laughs> I need to be centered. Centered. All right. <laughs> Man, the struggle is real. <laughs> the struggle is real. So this is Tim Hawkins. Many of you might have heard of him. He's actually been to lacrosse. He's a Christian comedian. Uh, we're going to have a comedy night coming up here in just a couple weeks. Uh, it's going to be a Tim Hawkins video. We're going to share a meal, uh, come in here, and just share, have some laughs together. It's going to be great. So it'll be his live DVD. So we'll give you some info when that comes up. But men, the struggle is real. We're, we're naturally not very good at listening. We're not very good at multitasking. You know, being quick to listen is, is not a natural response for a lot of people. I believe that. But James' instruction here is for believers, all believers, even men, to be quick to listen. 
We should be intentional about being good listeners in our lives. This is something we should work to grow in. This is an area of our lives that God wants us to, to develop. There was an ancient Greek philosopher that once said that we have two ears but only one mouth, that we may hear more and speak less. Um, this echoes James chapter 1. You know, and I can say this, that after 10 plus years of marriage, uh, through trial and error, mostly error, I've, I've learned a few things, mainly because I've been corrected and I've show, been shown the right way to do these things, but uh, some ways to be quick to listen, to be a better listener. Now, again, I want, I want to share these with you this morning, but again, I'm, I'm not a great listener. In fact, I'm like at the bottom of the totem pole. So I'm, I'm preaching to the choir today. This is for me. And, and sometimes people ask, you know, what, how do you come up with the things that you're going to preach on or, or talk about? And sometimes they're planned far in advance, but a lot of times it's just what I'm going through in life. These are some things that I'm dealing with, that I'm struggling with. So I want to share some of those with you today. The first point, if you're, if you're taking notes, it's kind of a sub-point that you can write in, is, is that you can wait until the, first, the person is finished speaking and then repeat back what was said. So wait until they're done speaking and then repeat back what was said. You know, because personally, because of my great listening skills, uh, the person speaking, which is usually my wife, is usually the one who's having to re-repeat what she already said. Think about that for a second. <laughs> it shouldn't be that way. It really shouldn't. You know, I, I should switch that role and show her how much I care for her by how well I listen. And this, this is, is true in any relationship we have. It sounds elementary, but one way that we can be quick to listen is by repeating back um, what was said to us. The wives are taking notes like crazy today. Husbands, you should take notes today too. The second thing is that our, our body language says a lot about what's important to us. It really does. When someone else is speaking, choose to intentionally focus on that person. You know, don't, don't look around at, at your phone. Don't look at your tablet. Certainly don't be watching TV. Make eye contact with that person and let them know that you care. Let them know that you're listening to what's being said. And, and men, I would say this. If you need to multitask, ask the other person if it's okay. We, we shouldn't use this as an excuse not to listen. Remember, we're not great at multitasking. We're just not. A third thing is that when you don't listen the first time, it's not listening at all. Let me say that again. When you don't listen the first time, it's not listening at all. And this is great instruction for the kids around the dinner table or at home. It's great instruction for the grandkids. You know, when you don't listen the first time, it's not listening at all. When you don't listen the first time, it's doing what you want to do when you want to do it. And that has selfishness and pride written all over it. You know, this, this type of instruction, it really does help when we're disciplining our children and grandchildren as well. We, we let them know. We'll sit our kids down and we let them know that when we give specific instruction, we expect them to listen the first time. If they choose not to listen, it's not listening at all. It's doing what they want to do when they want to do it. You know, the verses that we're looking at today, they, they also address conflicts of every kind. Conflicts that you might have in your marriage. Conflicts that you have with peers at work or, you know, kids with peers at school. They, they address conflicts in the church. Things, you know, beefs that we have with other people. Have you ever noticed that in almost every situation where there's conflict, when, when we're slow to listen... When we're slow to listen, instead of being quick to listen, it usually doesn't go well. Here's what I mean by that. I Personally, I've never been able to solve a problem. I've never been able uh, to find a way to seek conflict resolution by being the dominant voice and not listening to the opinions of other people. Being quick to listen is so important. Conflict resolution usually starts 
with being a good listener. It's by listening to what the other person has to say. You know, God wants us to be quick to listen because being quick to listen is the start of healthy family communication. I would say that at the ground level, it's the start of healthy family communication. You know, God has a purpose for our lives in learning to be quick to listen. And the reason I believe this is because being quick to listen, it transforms relationships. And then hear this. It allows us to hear the Holy Spirit speak to us before we choose to speak to someone else. Being quick to listen allows us to wait and to listen to what the Holy Spirit would say to us before we speak to someone else. When we listen first, we have more time to process how we respond. James, his encouragement to the church is to be quick to listen. Receive the, the word that God's planted on your heart. Let that be active and alive through, through, through your own life, through the, through the life of the church. Let's be quick to listen. The second thing, if you're taking notes, is that we should be slow to speak. So you have quick to listen and slow to speak. James chapter 1, verse 19 says this. Uh, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen and slow to speak. You know, my oldest son, uh, Micaiah, he also sits in here with us on Sunday mornings. Um, he has an anatomy book that's published by a company called Apologia. Apologia is a, is a curriculum publisher for Christian education. So this week, we, we actually found this book. We were looking through it, and uh, I learned something really interesting this week about the human anatomy. Now, we, we all know that we, our bones and muscles, they, they, all, they come in different shapes and different sizes, but this is what I learned this week. I think this is so cool, that the smallest muscle, the absolute smallest muscle in the human body is located in the middle ear. It's located in the middle ear. It's a muscle that holds all of the tiny ear bones stable. The strongest muscle, so that's the smallest, the strongest muscle in the human body um, is also the muscle that is the hardest to control, and it's the most dangerous. So I want to share some scripture with you this morning, and as I'm sharing this, see if you can figure out what this muscle is. I think this is so cool. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 3 says, those who control their tongue will have a long life. Opening your mouth can ruin everything. It can ruin everything. Proverbs 17, verse 28 says, even fools are thought wise when they keep silent. With their mouths shut, shut they seem intelligent. <laughs> so relevant for today. <laughs> Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, the tongue can bring death or life. So, so what you say can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. And you might be saying, well, that's, that's great. That's in the Old Testament. What does the New Testament have to, have to say? Well, I'm glad you asked. James chapter 3, verse 10. In the same book that we're, we're reading from today, it says, Out of the same mouth come praising and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Out of the same mouth can come praising and cursing. We can gather as the church on Sunday morning and we can sing psalms. We can sing hymns and spiritual songs as what Jack shared this morning. We can worship together and then we can go home and without much thought, usually there's no thought put into it, we can, we can give you know, words that bring death. Instead of life-giving words, we can give death-giving words. Instead of encouragement, we can bring discouragement. Instead of affirmation, we can bring the opposite of that. <laughs> what is the opposite word for affirmation? Anybody? Condemnation. That's it. Yeah, great. So instead of affirmation, we can bring condemnation. 
You know, I'm sure you have an idea at this point of what this muscle is. The strongest muscle in your entire body is the muscle, hear this church, that closes your mouth. It's the muscle that closes your mouth. This muscle is called the masseter muscle. And the masseter's job is to keep your mouth closed. (laughs) According to James, it's a muscle that every single one of us should learn to exercise more often in our lives. In fact, it would be, it's dangerous for us not to use this muscle because if, if you and I aren't careful, we can end up saying words that, uh, again, are, are discouraging to other people. They're, they're not encouraging, they're discouraging. We might say something that brings harm to other people or ourselves. There's a reason that God made the masseter muscle to be the strongest muscle in our bodies. I think that's fascinating. And James, his instruction for us is to, to be slow to speak. You know, when you do something slowly, it could be another activity altogether, but when you do something slowly, it usually means that you're learning a new skill. If I'm learning a new song on the guitar, I do it slowly. I don't rush through it. If I'm writing a sermon, I do it slowly. I think about these things and pray about these things. In your job or around your house, the things that you do slowly are typically because you're trying to learn that skill or grow in that discipline or skill. And that's the message that James is teaching. He's saying, learn the skill of patience in your life. Learn the skill of of silence in your life. There are several practical ways that we can learn this skill of being slow to speak. I'm going to give you just a couple things you can write down this morning. The first thing is is the most obvious way, and that church is to simply not speak. (laughs) You know, it's like, duh. Now, I don't mean that you should never speak. Instead, stay engaged with your mind. Stay engaged with your, with your eyes and give a nod of affirmation when someone else is, is talking. Or if someone's talking, you can say something like, tell me more about that. Tell me more. Another way that we can be slow to speak and learn to listen better at the same time is by asking questions. I love this. Ask more details or ask how the person feels about the situation that they're describing. A great place to practice this is actually around the dinner table at home. You know, when you're talking about your day, when you're kind of unwinding from the day and you're asking questions about your day, a typical response is, it was good or it was bad. And sometimes we leave it at that, but you can ask questions like, what else? You know, tell me, tell me more about that. What else? And this really does help open up the conversation. For all of our small group leaders in the church, if you lead a Sunday school class, uh, silence in, in, in those classes is, is good a lot of the times because it means people are thinking. But to get the conversation flowing, sometimes you can say, well, what else? You, know, you can affirm what someone said, and then you can open up the conversation a little bit more. Uh, a third way to be slow to speak, and I, this, I think this is the best one, is to commit to only saying things that are positive or uplifting. James chapter 3, verse 10, we just read this. It says, out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Scripture teaches us that our words have consequences. Out of the same mouth, we can give praise and cursing. Out of the same mouth, we can speak life or death. God wants every person to learn to be slow to speak because it helps us think about what we're going to say before we speak. And when we're slow to speak, we, you'll, you'll notice this personally, but also with other people. When you're slow to speak, you don't complain as much. You just don't. And complaining is, is the opposite of, of gratitude. When you're slow to speak, you don't complain as much. Also, you give encouraging words, life-giving words. And I would say this is the second piece to this puzzle, is that being slow to speak 
is what sustains healthy family communication. So if being quick to listen is the start of healthy family communication, learning to be slow to speak is what sustains it. So it keeps it going in your home. You know, church, our our ears and mouths give us a pretty clear picture of the human condition. They do. You and I were made in God's image, but we've also fallen into sin. This is how things are, but it's not how things should be. And when we have Christ in our lives, he works to change us from the inside out. And I would say this to you this morning. If you have a hard time listening, if you have a hard time listening, focus less on the distractions in your life and more on the people who are speaking. Pray about these things. If you have a mouth that gets you into trouble, mine does a lot. <laughs> I, know, I know a lot of us in here, I won't call out anybody, but we have a mouth that gets us into trouble sometimes. If you have a mouth that gets you into trouble, practice using life-giving words, words that encourage and build other people up, that affirm their worth, not because of their performance or what they do, but because, of, because they're image bearers of God. You know, it usually, it's usually the negative words that, that get us into trouble. So if you're going to practice being slow to speak, say, say only positive words. This will help move you from being quick to speak to being slow to speak because you're being, again, more thoughtful about what you're saying. So in closing today, you know, God wants us to be quick to listen. He wants us to be slow to speak. And if being quick to listen is the start of healthy family communication, if you're really struggling that with that in your home, if you're struggling with that personally, pray about that. God, help me be quick to listen. Help me not just be the dominant voice, the dominant com- the person in the conversation. Help me be quick to listen. So if being quick to listen is the start of, fe- of healthy family communication, then being slow to speak is what helps sustain healthy family communication. Church, let's be quick to listen. Let's be slow to speak. Let's pray about these things and ask God to speak to our hearts. Let's be challenged through his word to live out these things. Let's have a genuine faith. Not just a faith alone, but faith that is demonstrated through works. Let's demonstrate that. So there is a third point that James mentions in James chapter 1. And you can probably understand what that is when you read your Bibles. But I decided this week that this final point needs its own sermon. All right, it needs its own sermon. And I told you last week that this would probably be the shortest sermon that I've had so far. So I want to keep that promise. But uh, you'll have to wait until part two for this last point. So we're not going to do that next week. Uh, my goal is for this um, series that we're calling Table Talk. All right, is my goal for this series is that it would consist of single messages uh, just periodically throughout the year. And these messages would focus on the family. They would focus on marriage. Uh, they would focus on raising kids. They would focus on work and generosity. They would focus on growing in faith as a family and living those things out. So the goal is that every few months uh, for the rest of this year, we're going to revisit this series, and we're going to address another topic that uh, encourages families and equips families of all ages and stages um, to live for Christ, uh, to live genuinely in their faith. 